0: Everybody, welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. Got another great show for you today. We're going to be talking about uh, Apple has some really great new privacy features and uh, security features coming up in their uh, upcoming software releases for the iPhone and for your Mac computers. Uh, we'll be talking about how a DNA service warned that 92 million customer accounts have been compromised. Uh, another Facebook screw up makes private posts from 14 million people public when they were supposed to be not public i uh, got a minor net neutrality update for you, and then we're going to talk about how Vermont has become the first state to pass data broker reg- regulations in this country, a, a major first step, uh, and what that means for you. All right, first up, Apple just had its Worldwide Developer Conference. It's something that happens every, pretty much every June. I think it's always in June. Uh, and, in, and at that point, they announce new products, uh, sometimes hardware, sometimes software. This time, it was completely dedicated to software products, which means... Uh, uh, all the software that runs the operating system called iOS, which is what runs on your iPhones and iPads, and also macOS, which is the operating system for your laptops and desktop computers from Apple. And uh, they have some really great features. Uh, I'm not going to go into all of them, but I will talk about some of the great security and privacy features they got coming up. So uh, first of all, uh, the password whole password thing has been a real pain in the butt for a lot of people, and it still it still is uh but in the iOS and macOS coming up things are will get a little simpler particularly on iOS um uh for example uh they will actually have built-in password generators uh, built right into iOS uh and of course it will save those passwords for you in your uh Apple vault uh their their keychain access uh, they need to come up with a better name for that um and your iCloud keychain uh so it will save these things securely for you kind of like LastPass does um if you you know I, I can't attest to the security of these versus uh, others, but uh, LastPass is still my favorite uh, because it works on more than just Apple products, for one thing. Uh, but Apple's stepping up to the plate and, and basically bringing in some of those same features right into the operating system. Uh, but if you are a LastPass lover like me, uh, the other great news is that Apple is coming up with methods for uh, third party password managers like LastPass to actually have a be. Full-fledged citizens on iOS, meaning that when you go into applications or web pages, including uh, on Safari, which uh, to date really has not worked very well with uh, third-party apps, uh, there will be ways for those um, those forms when they pull up password things to automatically pull from LastPass. So no more having to go into LastPass and copy and paste and all that crap. Uh, it'll be it'll just be by there by default and uh, autofilled for you, which is the way it should be. So. Really glad that that is finally coming to uh, Apple products, particularly on iOS and iPad when it's a lot harder to do that copy-paste operation uh, to get those passwords filled in. Uh, Another great feature coming in is, you know, know, uh, I've been pushing two-factor authentication a lot. And uh, one of the methods, one of those common methods for the two-factor authentication is for you to receive like a six-digit code. Uh, via text message. Uh, so you'll go to the webpage that says, oh, you log in with your um, name and your password. And then it says, okay, I don't recognize you on this device. I also need you to give me a two-factor authentication code. I'm sending you one now to your text address. You know, when you get it, copy and paste that in here. So uh, Apple's building in a function, which I've not seen work yet, but apparently it pays attention for those kind of text messages with six digit codes. Uh, and when they come in automatically fills those in for you. So that'll be great. Um, th- those will be really handy and, and take some of the edge off of some of these technologies that are really kind of a pain in the butt and hopefully that'll get more people to start using them. Cause I know convenience, convenience is a factor and it's always a trade-off uh, with security, but things like this will make it a lot better. And hopefully a lot more people will start adopting these stronger passwords and two factor authentication uh, protocols. Uh, some other new features coming up in and, and OS. Uh, it, it's kind of already there on iOS where when you install certain apps, you can give them certain permissions and uh, take away different permissions. And sometimes you can give them permissions only when they're in the foreground and, and things like that. So you can give more fine-grained control over what apps have access to things like your location, uh, your contact lists, your text messages, Um uh, your microphone your camera things like that well those kind of same kind of protections are also now coming to uh, the Mac OS which is great uh, which means that you know there's n- no apps will be able to surreptitiously start you know recording video or recording audio in the background without telling you uh, you're going to get notifications for these things that you're also going to get a lot more control uh, in the security and privacy preferences for what apps you allow to have access to those things good that we're getting a lot more fine-grained control of this and so that'll be coming in the uh, mac os mojave release which uh, both of these both ios and mojave the ios 12 uh, the new version of ios and mojave the new version of mac os i believe will be coming out probably in september uh later this fall so those are great new features that are becoming um and one more feature that uh, I, I will call out here is that apple got a lot of heat for what they called intelligent tracking protection which they released last year um, because it basically cut down on, on, you know, Facebook and Google and all these companies' ability to track you indefinitely on your computer. They've, they, they ratcheted down how long uh, you were able to uh, – some of these third-party cookies and things were allowed to track you, uh, which really ticked off a lot of advertisers, which is fine with me because they don't need to track you to advertise to you. Uh, But anyway, they're they're bumping up uh, that protection again. Now they're starting to build in things like um, uh, fingerprinting blocking and like button blocking. So you know all those like buttons you see on the web pages and the Google Plus buttons and the Pinterest buttons—all those buttons that you see on the pages are tracking you, even if you never click on them. Uh, Those little icons on there have built-in magic that lets you know that that you are on that page and maybe what page you went to from that page and. Uh, all sorts of other crap that you they have no business knowing. So Apple's going to be start to block some of that. And then fingerprinting is a really tricky one. But basically what your web browser and trying to be helpful uh, coughs up a lot of information about you to the websites you visit. You know, what size your screen is, what operating system you're running, what browser you're running, what browser version you're running, uh, what fonts you have installed, all these kind of things. That If you take all that data, if you ask for all that data and look through it, um, you can get a pretty unique idea of, of, of who it is that's visiting you. Um, in other words, when you come back, you'll be able to recognize that, oh, that is that one person who was here before, and that allows them to track you. Uh, so Apple is basically building in technology into their Safari browser in the upcoming release that will kind of make everything bland. It will make you all look the same, which makes them a lot harder for, you, uh, for them to recognize you, to fingerprint you with your browser. Uh, anyway. I know it's kind of technical, but it's a really good thing. And I'm really happy to see Apple doing these things. Um, And Firefox, by the way, is doing some similar things. These guys are almost in a race uh, with their browsers and and technology to try to limit privacy and tracking. So that's great. Keep it going. That competition is a good one to have. And uh, hopefully they'll just be feeding off each other and making them both better and better as time goes on. All right. Next up, uh, a DNA company, uh, one of those companies like 23andMe and Ancestry.com that where you can send your DNA and get some sort of a report you know, based on your DNA, what your heritage is. Uh, there's one in Israel called MyHeritage, uh, and they recently announced that 92 million of their accounts have been compromised. Um, let me just read from this Hacker News article about this. MyHeritage, the Israel-based DNA testing service designed to investigate family history, has disclosed that the company website was breached last year by unknown attackers who stole login credentials of its more than 92 million customers. The company learned about the breach on June 4, 2018, after an unnamed security researcher discovered a database file called called MyHeritage on a private server located outside of the company and shared it with the MyHeritage team. After analyzing the file, the company found that the database, which includes the email addresses and hashed passwords of nearly 92.3 million users, are of those customers who signed up to the MyHeritage website before October 27, 2017. While the MyHeritage security team is still investigating the data breach to identify any potential exploitation of its system, the company confirmed that no other data, such as credit card details and family trees, genetic data, were ever breached or stored on a separate system. Okay. So that's the end of the quote from the article. So hash passwords. And we've talked about this before in the program is when you enter your password into a website, they don't actually store your passwords. So let's say your password was monkey. And for, for some reason, monkey actually is a very popular password. So let's say your password was monkey. They don't actually store the text monkey on their password, on their, on their servers. What they do is they hash that password. And a hash, a, cryptogra- a cryptographic hash, is a one way mathematical function that takes the text monkey and turns it into a bunch of gibberish, basically. But it's unique gibberish. That is, if you enter monkey again, you get the same gibberish out. And if you enter something besides monkey, you get totally different gibberish. So it's kind of like a masking function. So uh, what they do is they hash your password. And then when you come in to log in the next time and you give them your password monkey, they hash monkey again. And then they compare the hashes. So if you hash monkey, more than once, you always get the same result. So they store the hash and then they compare the hash that you just entered to the stored one. If they match, they assume that you have the same password. So, um, the key to doing that. And the reason why you do that is because it's almost impossible if done correctly to go backwards from the hashed version of monkey to monkey. Um, and there's all sorts of things they do to, do, um, uh, to make that harder, um, even than just the hashing part. So anyway, what they're saying is that, yes, the password database was was breached and they found it somewhere, but it was all hashed passwords, um, which means that the bad guys would have to go through some significant effort to try to guess what those passwords were. Um, So they recommended to all their uh, customers that they change their passwords, but apparently all that was leaked was the passwords. Now, if the bad guys did manage to crack a password, then they should have had full access to whoever's account that they hacked. Um, But uh, apparently they don't think that happened. So... Uh, it's not a good thing, but it could have been a lot worse. Nevertheless, you know, upshot folks, it, understand that whenever you, you know, participate in some of these programs and you're giving out highly, highly personal data, you're counting on them to protect that data properly. And if they screw up, you know, all that data is gone. And again, in the internet, that's forever. It's not, you can't really get that back. So if it's personal data, it's gone forever. So just be cognizant of that when you uh, are using the services. and of course, the other thing to realize in particular with DNA services is whenever you whenever you participate in a DNA service, you are by default participating on behalf of anybody who is a blood relative of you because you share some of their they share some of your DNA and it, the, that that has already been used to uh, to find people uh, based that were not in the database that were who did not give up their DNA but were related to somebody who did. So anyway, uh, so for DNA services in particular, you need to be aware of what you're doing when you're, uh, using services like that. And we can't go by without Facebook screwing up again. And, uh, they've really been, uh, all over the news lately and rightly so. Um, let me just read you this article about how they really screwed up with some, uh, making private posts public. And let me just read to you from this Ars Technica article. Facebook disclosed a new privacy blunder on Thursday in a statement that said the site accidentally made the posts of 14 million users public, even when they designated the post to be shared with only limited number of contacts. The mix-up was a result of a bug that automatically suggests posts to be set to public, meaning the post could be viewed by anyone, including people not logged on to Facebook. As a result, from May 18th to May 27th, as many as 14 million users who intended Intended posts to be available only to select individuals were, in fact, accessible to anyone on the internet. Uh, Quote, We have fixed this issue, and starting today, we are letting everyone affected know and asking them to review any posts that they made during that time, unquote. Facebook Chief Privacy Officer Aaron Egan said in the statement. Uh, quoting again, to be clear, this bug did not impact anything that people had posted before, and they could still choose their audience just as they always have. We like to apologize for this mistake. Unquote. Facebook has been apologizing a lot lately. <laughs> um, and again, folks, I've deleted my Facebook accounts. It's just these guys are just awful. They don't care about you. They really don't. They only care about your data. Uh, I know it's hard to give up on that crack. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's where everybody is. It's where everybody shares information. It's a real shame that this company has screwed up so badly um, and is violating your trust so blatantly. Um, we need an alternative. I really hope that some company out there is creating a Facebook that's actually private and is not about harvesting your data. Because I can I fully understand how important and useful. Um, and fun it is to have this sort of a thing, uh, this sort of a program where you can keep in touch with people, but it's just, it's a data mine. It's nothing but a data mine for Facebook. And, uh, they've shown time and time again that they just simply cannot be trusted with this data. So, all right, I'll get back off my Facebook, uh, soapbox. All right. Just a couple other quick notes here before we get to our main story, um, First of all, there are yet more critical Flash uh, updates out there to get. If for some reason you still have Flash, the real response here is just to remove Flash. And if you recall, Adobe Flash is a technology that started a long time ago that allows your web browser and web pages to show fancy animated stuff. Uh, Flash is no longer needed. The 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 built-in language of the internet, HTML uh, and CSS, uh, Cascading Style Sheets, um, these two things together now completely replace Flash and are much more secure. Flash is just hor- horrifically bug-ridden, and we need to need to get rid of it. Um, very few sites require it anymore, so uh, you know, remove Flash. Go into your browser plugins and your extensions. If you have a Flash pl- uh, plug-in there, just delete it. Um, and if you ever find a website that just you have to access and it absolutely must have Flash for it to work. Uh, in that case, you can use the Chrome browser because the Chrome browser actually builds flash right into the browser. Uh, not much longer, by the way, there, even, even Google's going to be pulling that out of Chrome, uh, not too much longer. Uh, but if you still find a website that you absolutely have to get to that, that runs flash, um, you can uh, launch the Chrome browser and it will still work. Uh, of course, even in Chrome, you should make sure you set your flash settings to, to ask you every single time, and not run flash content by default. Um, because flash is just, again, it's just. A privacy and a security nightmare. And we just, it needs to go away. Uh, Okay. So another news or another quick thing is net neutrality is almost dead. By the time this podcast comes out uh, on Monday, um, that will be the day then when the FCC's regulations will go into effect that basically kill net neutrality. Um, There's still a a last ditch effort to try to get the house to vote on the CRA process uh, to block those regulations, but it's probably not going to happen. So Uh, The next bet, folks, is to grill your representatives about this, your candidates that are up for election in the fall, and make sure that we put people back in office uh, in in this next election that will reverse this because this was a travesty. This was a true travesty. Uh, The FCC completely ignored the outcry over this, uh, put their thumb on the scales, and uh, basically handed a huge win to all the internet service providers out there, including your cell phone providers um, for tracking you. It's just awful. Um, And for, you know, making fast lanes and slow lanes and picking winners and losers and pay to play. It's, it's just, it's just awful. I can't, I can't imagine how this happened, but we need to fight back. It's, it's, it's a dark day. um, But uh, we need to keep working on this and see if we can't get those regulations back. All right, now our last story, which leads into our tip of the week, uh, and that is that Vermont has become the first state to uh, pass legislation that cracks down on data brokers. Now, data brokers are—you know—you might think of Facebook and Google; they're the ones; they are the—they're the, the ones you know uh, that you've given a lot of information to, that are gladly taking that information and using it to market to you. Uh, but behind the scenes, there are—it's a kind of a dark industry. They're estimated to be twenty-five hundred to four thousand data brokers in the U.S. alone. But it's hard to say because, well, first of all, it depends on how you define data broker, but they just kind of operate in the dark. Um, and they, you know, quietly consolidate as much information about you as you can uh, do as they can creating profiles, what they call shadow profiles, because it's not really public to you, (laughs) um, collecting all this data on you and then selling it to other people, to, to whoever's willing to buy it. And it's uh, almost completely unregulated industry. The GDPR uh, regulations in the EU that we've been talking about a lot lately are, are geared toward, you know, protecting privacy against things like this. Uh, but finally, the Vermont um, has passed a law like this as well. Let me just read an article a little bit about this uh, from TechCrunch uh, about this new law. While Facebook and Cambridge Analytica are hogging the spotlight, data brokers that collect your information from hundreds of sources and sell it wholesale are laughing all the way to the bank. But they are not laughing in Vermont, where the first-of-its-kind law hems in these dangerous data mongers and gives the state's citizens much-needed protections. Data brokers in Vermont will now have to register as such with the state. They must take standard security measures and notify authorities of security breaches. And no, they weren't before and using their data for criminal purposes like fraud is now its own actionable offense. If you're not familiar with data brokers, well, that's the idea. These companies don't really have a consumer-facing side. Instead, opting to collect information on people from as many sources as possible, buying and selling it amongst themselves like the commodity it has become. The data exists in a regulatory near-vacuum. As long as they step carefully, data brokers can maintain what amounts to shadow profiles on consumers. So... We've talked about this a lot. And like I said, the problem is that these things are really not public. These, you know, you're not a customer of these things. You're the product. So it's not like you can go elsewhere and take your business elsewhere or just decide not to do it. Uh, in many cases, they're doing it without you knowing, let alone asking you to do it and getting your permission. So that leads us to our tip of the week. And f- while this law is great and I hope that it becomes a model law for other, uh, other States in the U S and maybe eventually some federal laws, which would be wonderful, um, to start protecting, uh, our data. And uh, we need, we need transparency, uh, and awareness to begin with, because all this stuff is being done in the shadows. And, and while there's, a, you know, some stories come out here and there that leak this information that we, that we all get upset about it's going on. It's way, way worse. We've only seen the very tip of this iceberg and, We've got to get some sort of control over this stuff, and we've got to own our data. It's our data. We should have a say in what gets done with that data. So the tip of the week is there are ways that you can, and it's a pain in the butt, and there's a lot of places you to have to go do this. There are some ways you can try to opt out, and I don't know how fully effective these things are. Uh, some of these things are backed by laws, meaning that if you say that you're going to opt out of these things and they fail to do that, that you can actually uh, go after them and get, and have them pay fines. Um, some of them are just kind of prey. You know, you, 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 you opt out and hope that these guys are honorable enough to honor it because in most cases that's just an honor system. If, um, they don't, they're not required to do these things, but it's worth a try. And if nothing else, it's worth going through this effort to understand how many different ways and how many different companies are out there collecting and sharing data on you. That should not be. Um, and so I'm going to put, I'm going to put some links in the show notes because it's way too much information to go through here, um, uh, to walk you through each and every one of these things. But I'm going to talk to you just a little bit about what kinds of information are there. Uh, and I'm going to put this in the show notes. I'm also going to do a blog entry and a newsletter article about it this week. So, uh, might be a great time to sign up for the newsletter. Um, and so you'll start getting these things automatically, uh, every other week when I send these out and you can always go to the website at firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com to uh, check out the blog entry as well. So, uh, with that in mind, let me just kind of go over a little bit of what I'm going to be telling you about in this in this thing. So, there's one really great website, in fact, the World Privacy Forum, uh, that has a whole bunch of of categories for opting out, and within each category has multiple different um, suggestions on where to go to certain websites that are not easy to find and you probably have never even heard of, where you can go and basically try to stem the tide of this information um, and ad tracking and marketing stuff being pushed at you um you can you can try to hold back the tide again i there are a lot of loopholes in these things and and this is not 100 percent perfect uh, but i still encourage you to take a look at this list go through it and figure out uh, and, and try some of these things just try opting out of some of these things if nothing else again what you're doing is you're you know you're registering your disdain for these things and you're making it publicly known that you do not like this um and they need to stop or at least you know have some sort of boundaries on what they do. So the first one I'll talk about and is one you may have heard before is the national do not call registry. Um, this is supposedly a service where you call and you, and, or not you call, you go to the, you go and you register, this is a government website and you register your phone number and you can use your mobile phone number too, by as well, because uh, as well, because I don't know about you, but most of my junk calls now are to my mobile phone. And I've just gotten to the point where I don't. If I don't recognize the number, I just don't even answer anymore. Uh, but it's still annoying that I get all these calls and I have to sit there and look at it. Like, do I know that number? Um, it's still a pain in the butt. So you're supposed to be able to register your phone numbers at this uh, at this website, um, and they're the marketers are supposed to stop calling you. Now there are some loopholes in this, um, and let me read you a little blurb from this, and you'll understand what I mean. Uh, if you put your phone number uh, uh, in this list, telemarketers are not supposed to call you. The federal trade commission manages the do not call registry home and mobile numbers can be uh, put on the do not call list. The do not call opt out does not stop you from being called by anyone you have done business with in the last 18 months. If you make an inquiry of a merchant, the merchant can call you for six months. Charities and politicians are not covered by the do not call list rules. Okay. So again, there's a lot of loopholes are big gaping loopholes (laughs) in some of these things, you know, what's considered a charity, what's considered a political entity. Um, and you know what does it mean to have done business with somebody in eighteen months? So you know if you if you uh, go to Harry and David and and order one thing, then you've done business with them, and you should expect them to call you and probably all of their quote unquote partners as well. Um, so again, this is not perfect, but it's worth a shot, and uh, you can always give that a try. Uh, some of the other things I'll talk about are pre-screened offers for credit and insurance. I don't know about you, but I get a bunch of those as well in the mail, usually snail mail. You know, trying to get me to sign up for life insurance or all sorts of credit insurance, credit cards, uh, all the things you can actually opt out of those offers, and hopefully you'll stop receiving those. So one of the problems with the credit card things is um, if, if someone actually intercepts that mail, they might be able to try to uh, uh, get that credit card in your name uh, by by using your pre-approved uh, credit card email or mail. So you know, those are good to opt out of as well. And there's you know. There's no reason you can't go find your own credit cards uh, when the time comes. They don't need to come to you. Um, there's also the Direct Marketing Association or the DMA. Uh, the DMA is the largest U.S. association on marketers. Um, and you can opt out to try to you know, diminish some of the, the catalogs and other junk mail that you receive. Um, your financial institutions are sharing information. Uh, th- this link uh, that I'm going to send you in the show notes We'll help, we'll help you go to some of your financial institutions to tell them to stop sharing information on you, which of course gets you all sorts of other marketing crap. Um, credit freezes. It talks a little bit about credit freezes. We've talked about here that before. Um, but then it also in this list is a data broker opt-out. And I'm going to give you two links for those because that's what we've been talking about here. Uh, the, the first link that I'm going to give you um, from the World Privacy Forum includes some of those data marketers. There's also another great website called stopdatamining.me. And I'm going to send you a list of their opt-out stuff as well. Uh, that's a great site to, to check out. So stopdatamining.me, just like it sounds. Um, and again, I'll, this will be in the show notes. You can click it there. Uh, and you can also get this from my blog entry on the on this as well. Check these things out. Axiom, A-C-X-I-O-M, is probably the biggest one. And you can uh, they've got a website called About the Data, where you can actually go and log in and, and you can see at least a a small glimpse of the information that they have on you. Uh, And that may give you some pause and realize and make you realize why this is so important. Uh, And they also supposedly have some opt-out mechanisms. Again, I'd say supposedly because it's all honor system. I don't think they're bound by anything to, to actually do anything with this because we don't have laws around this yet. So uh, but it's please check it out just so you understand the breadth and depth of what is going on with your data and how many different ways that this data is collected and shared. So I highly recommend that you at least go scan this list so you have a feeling for what's going on here and then pick some of these things and some of the ones that are most egregious for you personally uh, and try to opt out. Uh, Go ahead and go through the process. Some of it it will be painful um, and then realize that this is why we need laws like the one that was just uh, put in Vermont and some of the laws that we have in the EU. We need to have more laws around this stuff. Uh, We don't really know what is being collected about us. And we should. Uh, So the very first step in all of this is transparency and awareness. We must make this stuff transparent. We must know what is being collected, who it's being shared with, uh, and what is being done with it, and how long it's being kept, all these kind of things that we don't know these things. uh, And we should. Um, and then awareness, we need to make people aware that this is happening. So we must be notified when these things happen and we must be notified when this data gets loose. If there's a data breach, um, they should let us know that because it's our data that got loose and it's our identity that's at risk and our privacy. Um, it's just important. So I have a feeling that these are things are all kind of, like cockroaches. They're all, they're all happening behind the walls and under the, under the cabinets. And we're just not seeing all the activity and we need to, we need to flip the light on. We need to expose this stuff for what it is. And then I think people will get a, a little bit more angry and a little bit more motivated to press their representatives to pass laws that protect your data. Okay. And that's going to wrap up our show this week, folks. Tune in again next week. I've, again, I've got some uh, interviews. I'm trying to line up on some really important topics. So hopefully those will be coming soon. I uh, just got to get the people on the phone. Um, to sometime that takes some time to set up. Uh, but regardless, I will be back again next week with some more great info for you and keeping you up to date on all the things you need to know and what you need to do about it. Uh, and again, you can always sign up for my newsletter. I'll send uh, that every couple of weeks and you'll get that directly to your inbox with some, uh, highly focused, uh, topics and tips. Uh, and you can always check out the blog as well. And you can follow me on Twitter at firewall dragons. Um, If you want to get kind of more up-to-date and more urgent stuff, it tends to be a little more technical, um, but you can check that out as well. Of course, the book, Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons on Amazon, all sorts of different ways, whatever, whatever kind of uh, information access floats your boat, whatever uh, you find most uh, appealing, I've got you covered. All right, folks, take care. And uh, I will see you again next week. And until then, don't get caught with your drawbridge down.